You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. in the west side of the wilderness, the flame burst through the midst of the bush, and there stood before him the angel of the Lord, fire upon fire, and yet nothing was consumed. Moses, Moses, the Lord cried out in a hush. But confused replied, here I am. Don't come near. Take off those sandals. The place you're standing on is holy ground. And I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses, trembling with fear, he hid his face before the Lord was a promised mission for Moses, for God's people were not destined for a life of slavery. God's people would not stay in the grips of Pharaoh in Egypt. Moses would go and deliver the people. Moses would return to the mountain, and it's as if this guy didn't just hear what the Lord told him. Moses, he proposes a question to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all right, if I do this, if I go tell the people of Israel and, and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, well, what is his name? What should I tell them? And in the midst of the fire, God spoke, I am who I am. Part of the story of Exodus 3, it's the profound understanding of who God is. He is the all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-present, all-God. He is the I am, and since God is the I am, well, that means we don't play a part in deciding who God is. Kevin DeYoung, he, he put it like this. We imagine God to be saying, I am whoever you want me to be. That's the God of our day and age, not a God who is, but a God who morphs, changes, transforms into whatever you think him to be. Need him to be angry with your enemies? You get that. Do you need him to give you some good stuff? All right. Do you need him to be affirming? or whatever you want him to do. All right, we'll we'll get that God. God is whatever you imagine him to be. Do you want him big or small, short or tall? Do you want a he, him, her, or it? What do you want? Do you want they? you want multiple? 
That's your God, but it's not this God. I am who I am. And since God is the great I am, we can also understand that Christ Jesus is the I am. It is literally the reason the religious leaders attempted to put him to death. It's John chapter 8, starting in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I am who I am, this word of life, this light of the world, Christ Jesus, I am who I am, and not you, nor I have the right or authority to try to change that. He is and always will be, I am who I am. That's who God is. So you're, you're probably assuming where I'm headed, because since that is true, we got to answer the question for today. I mean, one of the, the biggest life questions that we have. Since God is the I am, the question is, well, who am I? And in light of who God is, who am I? That's the question we'll answer from 1 John chapter 2. Um, if you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there in there. We'll look at just a few verses here this morning. But before we study the passage, we'll read the passage and study the passage. Let's, let's pray together. God, forgive us for being a church or individuals that think we play a part in deciding who you are. I am who I am. God, you are all-sufficient, never-changing. And God, in light of who you are, in a lifetime of, of figuring that out, an eternity of figuring that out, I pray that we would correctly answer the question, who, who are we? Who are we before this holy God? God, give us grace and understanding as we study 1 John together. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Just, just a few verses. So 1 John chapter 2, we'll start in verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, you might have noticed these verses, if you've been reading this, this letter, it feels a little out of place, like as, as if it's put there by accident, as if John copied and pasted this from another resource, and yet none of that is true. It is poetic in nature, and yet it feels confusing at first glance, but John knew what he was doing. Last week, we looked at this question, how do we know if we know? Like, how do we know if we know, we know Christ? Well, we know if we keep his word, we know if we love the light, we know if we love each other. And so verses 12 through 14 
in a very poetic way, expand on this reality of showing us who we really are as God's people. Because after verse 14, if you skip down, John shows us who is not a part of God's people, specifically those that are anti-Christ. And so we know who God is. We know if we know, but let's answer one of life's biggest questions. Who am I? And it's going to be a little, little different. Who am I? Who am I? If, if you're a note taker, point one, I'm, I'm like a little child. I'm like a little child. As mentioned, it, it does feel confusing. There's, there's three categories of people in verses 12 through 14. You can see it right there in the text. Little children, fathers, and young men which commentators and scholars have some disagreements on. Like, is, is John writing to literal little children, fathers, and young men? Is John trying to use these categories as, as stages of spiritual growth? Is John using these terms in a generic sense that applies to all Christians at all stages of life? I mean, which one is it? To be honest, um, I don't really know for sure. I don't know. I'm inclined to believe that John is using this in a generic sense, meaning that these categories could be for specific groups of people, but can also refer to all of us, because um, at the end of the day, I do believe that we relate to each of these. In fact, I would say we must relate to each of these. So that's how... I'll treat this text this morning. Let me prove it with the word. Who am I? Well, you're like a little child. And you must be. Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 1. At that time, the disciples, they came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be thrown into the depth of the sea. So, of course, like Jesus, Jesus is talking about literal children for some of this, but he also makes this, this astonishing statement to his disciples, the disciples being their, their normal, clueless selves, are arguing about, the, like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they ask Jesus for the answer. I'm assuming they're thinking of lots of answers that he's going to say. Not entirely sure they thought he would say this one. And Jesus calls his child over, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he brought it up again in Mark's gospel. I think it's a different account. The children keep running to Jesus. The disciples are they're trying to shoo him away, shoo them away. And the kids, I mean, they're just being a distraction. The kids are being a distraction from the ministry that, that Jesus has. At least that's what they assumed. Mark chapter 10, verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for such, 
For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So, first things first. We better not hinder the children from coming to the Lord. You know what kids do at church? They make a mess. They, they, they crunch snacks into this gross red carpet. They're loud. They tend to break things. They disrupt. And I'm not saying we shouldn't teach children in this church how to be respectful. But, but what I am saying is if anyone has a problem with this church being full of messy and noisy kids, you can go find another church. Seriously. Yeah, it, it makes things complicated. It takes a, a ton of, of faithful volunteers to pull it off. Uh, Jenny, our children's director, uh, Matthew, our youth pastor, they pour out their hearts every week for, for these kids and teenagers. And they, they both work another full-time job outside of here. It takes a lot of money and, and patience to hinder the children from coming to Jesus. And friends, it's worth it. East River Park will always be a church that values and protects children. A church without children is obviously, it's, it's literally a dying church. So children's ministry, student ministry, it's not some, some trick we've got up our sleeve to get families in the door. It's, it's a Mark 10, 14 through 16 heart to never hinder a child from coming to the Lord. And yet, it also includes us. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So for those that receive Christ, the great I am, we are given this right to become children of God. Children, little children that are humble, needy, trusting. I mean, that's, that, like, that's the posture that we must take when we come to Christ because that's how we are seen. Like We bring nothing to the table unless, except our helpless need and desire to be loved and forgiven, which is why John attaches little children to sins that are forgiven. Right there in verse 12, because we are like a child, a little child, who, letter A, just for a little more clarity in your notes, who is forgiven for his namesake. Do we not see it? Like, who am I? Well, you're not your past. You're not who you once were. You're not the mistakes or sins of years gone by. You're not who some people say you are. You are who God says you are, a new creation, a child that is forgiven. It's all in the Bible. 1 John 1, 9, that we, we've studied before, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like when we confess our sins, we, we don't have to worry that, that dad's going to come in and drop the hammer on our heads. When we confess our sins, we are forgiven and cleansed of all 
unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Not the things or just the things that people know about. Even the things that you're embarrassed by. Even the things that you hate to admit about yourself. You are forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. It's literally the reason we take communion every week. As, as Jason Baker just very faithfully explained. This, this weekly congregational reminder that the blood of the new covenant spilt by Christ Jesus on the cross is the agent that forgives sins. It's Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We're loved and forgiven. For what? Well, John told us, for his name's sake, for what? Even, I mean, even David says it in the Psalms. Psalm 25, verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. That's who we are. We're forgiven. I'll say it again. Just so we can breathe a, a sigh of relief, of gratitude. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. And since you're forgiven, you have the ability to know the Heavenly Father. It's, it's literally what it says at the end of verse 13. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Well, who am I? Again, it's a little strange, but point two, I'm like a father. I'm like a father. Two times, written two times in these three verses. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, in verse 14, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. We are like a father who knows he who is from the beginning. That's, that's letter A for point two. I'm like a father who knows Christ that is from the beginning. I mean, John declared it in his gospel, and then he declares it in his letter for the sake of of remembrance, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And then he brings it up in his letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. It's Christ Jesus, who is from the beginning, before Abraham was, I am. So again, first things first. Fathers, grandfathers, do you know Christ Jesus? Seriously, dads, granddads, do you know Christ Jesus? Are you keeping his word? Are you loving his light? Are you loving his kids? There's this thing over at um, once a month at Eastside uh, elementary, uh, this thing called All Pro Dads. So men wake up early and they bring their kids to the school cafeteria and Mr. Brown is there and he's always serving some donuts and Kool-Aid for these kids as they walk in. And uh, we usually, we watch like a brief video um, on the importance of, of father figures in families and then uh, Mr. Hurley, he goes around the cafeteria, and one by one, each dad introduces his kid or kids, saying one thing that he's proud of, of each of his kids. And every month, I'm shocked. I, I look around, 
at that cafeteria, and it's always packed, fathers, grandfathers, uncles. Truth is, we, we need more respectable men in our communities. Men that live with integrity, men that work hard, men that provide for their families, men that stand up for what is right and against what is evil. We need men to be men. And yet the calling of the text is further than just being an all-pro-dad. We need men that know Christ Jesus. We need men that, that wake their families up and drive them to church every week. We, we need men that they're not too shy to sing loudly to Jesus. We need men that read the, the Bible to their little children. We need men that aren't scared to pray out loud in front of their families. We need men to go to work and do what is right, even when their co-workers act like idiots. We need men that carry the legacy of faith to the next generation. I'm writing to you, dads. Better know Christ Jesus, who is from the beginning, like the, the eternal future of your family depends on that. Don't we care? You wouldn't let your kids starve to death. So why would you starve your kids from the bread of life and actively participate in sending their souls to a very real hell? And yet, we are like fathers in that we have the privilege of knowing the Heavenly Father through Christ Jesus. It's this, this circular gospel logic. You see it in John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? If I go prepare a place for you, will I come again, will take you to myself? that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, well, he said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How, I mean, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So to know Christ Jesus who is from the beginning, we have come to know the Father as well. If, like if we have witnessed Christ in our life, we have witnessed the Father. That's who we really are. You're a little child that gets to know his Father, a Father that has gone to prepare a place for his kids. And like a father, we have a greater heavenly Father that, that will take care of everything. Let not your hearts be troubled. Not because there's no trouble right now. Not because there's not health concerns right now. Let not your hearts be troubled because all of it's temporary. This, this gospel truth, this, this truth from God's word that you got a paid for house waiting for you. You have a house where no one cries or gets sick. That's who you really are. All right, who am I? Well, I'm, I'm like a young man. Point three. This is partly why I don't believe John means uh, that just certain genders and age demographics. We see young, young man twice in the text, middle of verse 13, 
into verse 14. Like, there's no logical progression of age, even in a poetic structure. So, so first things first, um, everything I'm about to say applies to young men. Especially young men, young women that are, are dealing with a ton of pressure in today's 2024 culture. I know it's cool uh, for every generation to hate on the generation that's younger than them. So you got the, the silent generation, the boomers, Gen X, millennial, Gen Y, Gen Z. It seems like everyone has, has always had someone older than them uh, calling them lazy or rebellious. It's been pretty consistent. I've heard it in this church. I've, I've said it myself. And, and have felt pretty convicted of, of that over the past few weeks, that the younger generations don't need more criticism. They need to be mentored. They need, they need to be loved. That young men and women are not customers that we need to sell church to. There are men and women that need to be prayed for and, and served. Like you and I, or a lot of us, we did not grow up with computers in our pockets. We have no idea what kind of pressure younger generations are dealing with every single day. They're tired, they're overwhelmed, they're anxious, they're hurting, they're lonely, and they most certainly don't need a bunch of church folk to kick them while they're down. They need to be encouraged, like as, as John does in this text. What, what does he say to young men? Well, quickly, three things that are helpful to all of us. We're like a young man, letter A, he's... Who's strong? Strong. If you know the Apostle Paul, um, he's not a perfect guy. He's, it's not a secret. He had a thorn in his side, whether it's a physical issue, a mental issue, uh, a sin issue, we're not sure. But, but we know he didn't like it, and, and he prayed for the, this thing to go away, for God to take this thing away from him. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, and therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong." And from all accounts, it doesn't seem like God ever took that away from Paul. We, we all have weaknesses. Believers are not immune to that. We struggle with health issues. We struggle with, with chaotic things that, that go on in our mind. We struggle with the hardships of life. And I wonder if, after a while, we just become ashamed of it. We hate our weaknesses because we think that it's keeping us from something. And certainly some of that is true. But friends, if we have Christ, we have the ability to be strong. Joni Erickson taught us she, she had a swimming accident as a teenager. It left her as a, a quadriplegic. She said this about strength. Deny your weakness, and you'll never realize God's strength in you. By default, our weaknesses might keep us from things. It's true. So why would we also choose to keep it from showing off the strength of Christ? What does it mean 
To be strong in spite of our weaknesses, it, it certainly means to keep going. It, it means to wake up and keep moving forward in Christ. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we, re we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that the sufferings produce endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Some of the strongest people I know just keep moving forward in the faith regardless of what happens to them or around them. That's, that's just who they are. That's just who we're called to be. Someone that's strong because of Christ. I'm like a young man, letter B, who has the word of God abiding in me. It's the second on the list in verse 14. I write to you, young men, because the word of God abides in you. Well, certainly that applies to the, like the whole counsel of the Bible for us to, today. Per context, John is speaking about Christ. John is speaking about the hope of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15, starting in verse 4. You abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And like young men, we tend to think we can do everything. We're, we're unlimited, invincible. We constantly bite off more than we chew, myself included. And yet, what's, like, what's the text encouraging us in? That we must abide in Christ. What's that mean? Sinclair Ferguson, he, he simply put it like this. I think it's helpful. Abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, transform our affections. So, and as we're doing that, Christ is abiding in us. Why is that so important? Like, why, why does that impact who I am? Well, because Christ is the one that produces fruit through me. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Do you realize how easy it is for me to fill my own schedule? And, and I'm assuming you as well. I can do countless visits, phone calls, events, activities, meetings, services, Bible studies, sermons, counseling sessions. I can fill up my schedule uh, for like 60 to 80 hours a week just doing ministry-related things. And if I were to do that, most people would say, like, that's great. Isn't that what we pay you for? I mean, shouldn't you be busy? But friends, my, like my number one priority is not, to sp is, is not to spend a significant time in everything, but to spend a significant time abiding in Christ, where everything else will be wasted. It might fill my calendar, but it won't change anyone's heart. It might fill my schedule, but it might cost me my soul. You and I are more than what we can produce. We're children of God, clinging to the Father. We are branches clinging to the vine. We have the word of God abiding in us. So Israel had sinned once again. Like this, this never-ending cycle of rebellion. They, they soon found themselves in the hands of the Midianites, it was deadly, it was oppressive, it was miserable, and the people, they cried out for the Lord to help them, and the Lord responded in truly the most unusual of ways. There was an unexpected man 
called upon by the Lord. He wasn't much, but he was called a mighty man of valor. For Gideon would free God's people. It's Judges chapter 6, starting verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? And look at this now. The Lord has, has forsaken us, given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Yeah, but I'll be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I mean, how, how would, would Gideon pull this off? Unexpected, he was weak, had nothing to show from his earthly dad, outmatched, outnumbered. How, how would Gideon pull that off? It's in verse 16, I'll be with you. I'll be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. That's exactly what happened, for the Lord used the weakness of one man to conquer the enemy. Judges chapter 7, verse 28 And so Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. The land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. And like Gideon, I know it feels strange for God to call someone like you. Especially when you look around, you're like, this doesn't, I mean, it's not working out how I thought it was. Call someone like me, weak of no earthly significance, And like Gideon, I know we feel outnumbered and outmatched. And like Gideon, I know we feel like it's an impossible victory. And yet, that's just not who we are. It was the weakness of Gideon that God showed off his power and glory. And it was the weakness of our flesh that God showed off his glory in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. So while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Truth is, in this world, we are going to have issues and problems and tribulations. We are going to feel the weakness. And we are, we are going to feel like we just can't win another day. And yet, we are promised victory. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. John chapter 6, verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Christ took our weakness upon himself and died in our place. We're not defeated men and women. As, as, again, as Baker explained earlier, we are victorious because Christ is victorious. I write to you, young man, let her see who has overcome the evil one. And not to spoil the rest of this, this series, but here's what John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Yes, yeah, so that's who we are. 
We're forgiven for his name's sake. We know Christ who is from the beginning. We're strong in our weaknesses. We have the word of God abiding in us. We have overcome the evil one. He is the great I am. And me? Well, I'm his. That's who we are. That I'm a part of the people of God. That's your main point. And then I'll pray. I am a part of the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Through even just the times the complexity and the poetic nature and the things that we're not always sure about in your word, we're thankful for the encouragement and conviction of it. For all the men and women in our world that are confused about who they really are. To understand who you are and to see who we are in spite of it all. like little children, like fathers, like young men. God, we are strong because of Christ. We do have the word of God abiding in us. And as weak as we all feel at times, we have overcome the evil one because of what Christ has accomplished. And so God, fill us with encouragement that we're yours. And we pray these things in your son's name.